Episode 97, the countdown has begun, the road to 100. How are you feeling? I'm doing fine. And we're not going to name this the Jeremy Roma Studios, right? Uh, no, you know, we had, it's, it would have been a good one, right? Uh, number 97, it could have been the Jeremy Roenick studio. I know there's a, uh, there are a lot of Kings fans that have divided opinions about Jeremy Roenick. Let's right. just say this. If you remove the year that he was in Los Angeles, in my opinion, this is a hall of fame player. You're talking about a guy who scored yeah. over 500 goals was arguably a top five player in his generation of power forwards, Agreed. had a great run with the Blackhawks, great run with the Flyers. Not so much a great run in Los Angeles. Probably best remembered in L.A. Uh, for two things. One, his first official game as a king. I think he scored two goals two against goals the Dallas, Dallas. Stars. Yep. <laughs> All right. And prior to that, of course, the dancing at Frozen Fury. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's what he has to hang his hat on for his time in L.A. Not, not complaining about equipment, John? Well, okay, so if there's three things, I guess that would be the third thing. And we did miss an opportunity with episode 94 a few episodes back to name it the Ryan Smith Studio. Oh, no, uh, no, but, of no. course, I, I didn't feel safe naming it that. So um, <laughs> it's a long-running. John Hovind's not naming the studio the Ryan Smith Studio. No, no it's, uh, you know, no. Captain Canada, uh, you know, he didn't feel safe here, DB. Had, had to get out of Manhattan Beach. Beach. You know, the, I know, the mean streets of Manhattan. <laughs> We're already having too much fun, DB. I know. Uh, but look, episode 97, the countdown to 100 dB, who would have ever thought? I mean, when we, no. when we dreamt up this idea, <laughs> I guess, 97 episodes ago, uh, we, ne- we didn't really know where we were going or what we were right. doing, uh, where it would take us. But it's been a fun ride, and there's still a long road ahead of us. And I think the show just keeps getting better, personally. Yeah, I think we would, the over-under would have been 9.7 episodes, not 97, <laughs> John. But yeah, we're going to keep going. Can't wait for this season. This offseason is going to be hopefully amazing. So yeah, let's just keep going. All right, so uh, what we are going to do, though, DB, is we are going to name this the Thomas Hickey Studios, and there's a reason for that, okay? this was uh, Now, this was Dean Lombardi's first real big uh, uh, draft pick in Los Angeles, first-round draft pick, and uh, it didn't really pan out. They ultimately put him on waivers, and when we bring Willie Mitchell in later today, it sort of ties into Willie Mitchell because Mm -hmm. uh, what many people don't remember about his Mitchell's career, that is, here in Los Angeles, is that he took off the entire 2013 season. So he played 2012, they won the Cup. He played 2014, they won the Cup. But in 2013, 
2013, Willie was injured, and it really became, mm-hmm. um, well, a point of contention between him and Daryl Sutter. We'll see if Willie wants to talk about that. Um, but the point is that coming out of training camp, and I believe it was 2013, they ended up putting Thomas Hickey on waivers. And really, that was primarily, I guess you could say, to keep Davis Drewiski on the NHL mm-hmm. roster. Sure. Um, although, through the years, I've heard many different stories, and um, essentially what it comes down to is, they weren't trying to sneak Hickey through waivers. They knew mm. that Hickey wasn't going to make it through waivers. Right. Uh, it does raise a lot of questions about asset management, though. Dean Lombardi, who was a master at asset management early on, uh, this is you know well before yeah. he, he sort of fell off the rails and was you know trading nine first-round draft picks for <laughs> Milan Lucic and things. But um, And I say that jokingly, Kings fans, so I, I don't need your tweets about yes, how could I dare disparage Dean Lombardi. The man is a mad genius, and he's uh, welcome to come on the program anytime. But the point is, DB, that it's just crazy to think about a first-round draft pick of the L.A. Kings. Uh, they ended up letting him go. And, right. and this isn't just like some random dude. You know, Thomas Hickey had a certainly fine NHL career, played over 500 games. Yeah. He's a serviceable defenseman. And with yes. all due respect to Davis Drewiski, that's a very questionable decision uh, sort of in hindsight. Yeah, sometimes you got to leave the organization, went to the island, played for the Islanders, and really had a solid NHL career. But, you know, I, I did piss off Willie Mitchell. Way back in the day. You His, pissed off a player? Oh, geez, Dennis, yeah. I, the list yeah. is long. Let me get my black but book this out was, here. What, this what, was on a, do? <laughs> on a conference when Willie signed, uh-huh. right? He, he said he had multiple teams interested with, in him. Uh-huh. And I asked him, well, Willie, which teams? And they got really offended. Like, that's none of your business who else I was talking to. <laughs> oh, Okay. Uh, I, I'm here to tell you, DB, uh, if you if you don't know, I'm sure by now you've dug it up, but uh, the Sharks were one of those teams. The yeah. Capitals were one of those teams. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there were a couple teams at, yeah, at the time. I offended Willie, so let's move on. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm glad you did the one-on-one. You probably would have remembered it. Yeah, so uh, just so everybody knows, uh, Willie Mitchell does join us in the second period today. It is a pre-recorded interview. Uh, yeah. We are recording the show today live on Thursday. We pre-taped the interview with Willie Mitchell, so you're still going to get the traditional three periods of Kings of the Podcast. Uh, it just, in, in all uh, honesty, the, the the interview with Willie was done in advance, so yeah. it was done this week. It's not like something we've had in the can for six months. Uh, it, it was it, it was took done this six week. Months to get it, but no, it's not been <laughs> in the can for six months. <laughs> Look, Willie's a tough guy to get. He's out, you know. He's running a resort up in uh, the Pacific yep. Northwest. He's fishing. I mean, he has a lot of commitments. He has a lot of things going on. Uh, but it was great to catch up with Willie Mitchell. He's always, we, he's always been a different cat, John. You know that, right? Uh, you know what, Dennis? Uh, uh, I did share with him in the interview, by the way, uh, my, my famous or, or, or my favorite line, I should say, about Willie Mitchell. And that is that if you ask Willie what time it is, he'll tell you how to build a watch. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that is meant with all due respect. He is a fascinating, totally. fascinating person to talk with. He was, in my opinion, the best interview in the room when yep. he was here in L.A. He's just a great guy, uh, but he certainly beats to his own drum, yeah. and that's part of what I think caused some of the issues between him and Daryl Sutter about that injury uh, that I mentioned yeah. a moment ago. And he was on display during the cup final, John. Holy cow, he was holding court every day. That was, that was, <laughs> he was in his glory during the cup final for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and you know what? Well-deserved. I mean, what a guy. Yeah. You talk, I mean, there's so many of these stories, though, DB, around hockey and around sports. But um, this is a guy who had some significant injury oh, troubles. Yeah. Yeah. And 
and bounced back. And uh, let, let's let's save the Willie stuff for the third period after sure. fans have an opportunity to hear from from of the course. Willie Mitchell side of things. But we should uh, do do a quick uh, run around on the numerology stuff, which we always like to do. Willie, yeah. of course, wore number thirty three. We'll get into that with him here uh, when he when he joins us. But there are a handful of players that have worn thirty three in Los Angeles, including Bob Kudelski, Marty McSorley. Of course, was very famous from about nineteen eighty nine to ninety six. Although he had two different. Uh, 10 years with the Kings because of the whole trade and Sandstrom. And we won't get into that DB, but uh, Jan Volpat, we had his brother, Roman Roman. Volpat, one of the more memorable episodes (laughs) in Kings of the podcast history. Uh, The Kings of podcast Hall of Fame, John. I would have to say he is. I mean, if you're looking for somebody who is going to be brutally honest to the point that it's almost uncomfortable to hear his negativity, you want to check out the Roman Volpat interview because he has some strong, strong opinions uh, and I and I respect him for that. Uh, he yeah. he came in he came in strong and and he delivered. Uh, who else wore thirty three? You had Ziggy Palfi who came in uh, or has not come on the program, but uh, who, who wore thirty three? Of course, big trade with the New York Islanders. Speaking of them, uh, back to the uh, Thomas Hickey comment there. But Palfi came in and really was the one of the main superstars on display when uh, the Kings first moved into the Staples Center. Jack Johnson, of course, wore it briefly. Uh, Fukufuji wore it, a very popular goalie among Kings fans and kind of the lore of goaltenders prior to Jonathan Quick. Kevin Westgarth, another prior guest here on Kings of the Podcast, he wore it. Uh, he also uh, had that famous bet with Kyle Clifford that we've talked about, who was going to get the first Gordie Howe hat trick. And they bet, like, was a 64-ounce steak or something, Dennis? That, that oh, was yeah. Like, Something ridiculous. Who eats that much meat at one sitting? I don't even know. Uh, Freddie Modine. I mean, talk about Dean Lombardi making some yes, trades. Yes. How about the trade? I think it was Freddie Modine and Jeff Halpern came at the same trade, trade deadline, if I yes, remember correctly. Yes, they did. Correct. One from the Lightning and one from the Washington Capitals, Capitals, right? yeah, for sure. Okay, so Freddie Modine. Uh, man, these, this is really taking me down memory lane here. Uh, and, of course, Willie Mitchell, who wore it for two Stanley Cups with the Kings. And then now, of course, it's being worn by... Tobias Bjornfoot, and we'll see if he's able to secure a couple of Stanley Cups uh, for the LA Kings. Any uh, any quick thoughts when I rattle off that list? There, uh, names of players uh, that come to mind for you, Dennis? No, just one of the when I started covering the Kings, one of the more exciting players was Ziggy Palfi. You know, mm-hmm. when he was healthy, I mean, this is a legit forty goal scorer. When a lot of guys weren't scoring forty goals, so to him, and he again, he's another another unusual cat. I remember him on the island as well, but to me, he was. No, at that time when the team wasn't playing that well, he was a really exciting player. Well, hold on. When the team wasn't playing that well, those first couple of years at Staples Center, this place was rocking here in L.A. Yeah, yeah. A couple of seasons. Okay. All right. A right. couple of mm-hmm. seasons. A couple of seasons. Right. Uh, the NHLPA, just moving along here, DB, the yeah. NHLPA players poll came out. I know that uh, there were some tweets flying around about this, so I did want to mention a couple of things here. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby, they tied in terms of the top honors for the most complete player. Uh, and on that list also, you did have, uh, who'd you have here? You had uh, Barkoff, came in, uh, well, third, I guess, if you want right. to consider the top two. Uh, and then you had McDavid, and you had McKinnon, and then you had this guy named Andre Kopitar, who showed up yep. on the list as well. So uh, kudos to kudos to Kopi there. That's that's quite a list there. Uh, Barkoff came in much higher than I would have expected, DB. Yeah, because he doesn't get any press playing in Florida, right. but the players know, so that's why this is a nice look at, at what the players think. So, yeah, but he's in the... An impressive player, and I think that his star rose because the team really played well this season. You know, without mm-hmm. and without Eric Aaron Ekblad, you know, they had him. Maybe they beat Tampa Bay. Who knows? So, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, he's an impressive player, and he's still young. So, yeah, it's it's a little surprising because again, he doesn't get the play that these other players do. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody would have expected every other name on that list to be on that list because those are the players that are commonly talked about uh, by fans, by media, and by the players themselves and coaches and management as well. Those are the names that are talked about for an award like that. Um, How about this one? Voted best goal scorer. Uh, Probably not much of a surprise here. Austin Matthews ended up being number one. Ovechkin, two. Pasternak, three. McDavid for, I don't know, DB, are you surprised that McDavid is not higher or are you surprised that it was uh, Matthews over Ovechkin? Any, I don't know, yeah. controversy, but any surprise here? When, when the guy's chasing down Gretzky's record, I'm going to vote for Ovechkin, but I get, you know, maybe some recency bias because Austin mm-hmm. had an amazing season this year, but you know, with respect to the test of time and how long he's been doing it for, like mm-hmm. Ovechkin's the best goal scorer. He's the best goal, goal scorer of our generation. Maybe Austin gets there. But right mm-hmm. now, maybe he is because of the season and because Ovi's slowing down a bit and had some injury issues. But for me, Ovechkin is still that one-timer on the power play and from his office is still me the most dynamic shot in the league. Yeah, um, they did, just so people know, uh, because it's not just about one, two, three, four on the list. Also, the, the point percentage and the disparity between certain spots is important. Matthews and Ovechkin basically accounted yeah. for 80% of the votes. Yeah. So, I mean, you really could say it was a two-horse race <laughs> right. in this particular category. I mean, you know, uh, congratulations to Pasternak and McDavid for finishing third and fourth, but you're talking about uh, more than 25 points separate uh, third place from second place. So, really, it was yeah. a two-horse race in that particular category. Uh, now, in terms of the best goaltender, um, they had Andre Vasilevsky. This is, the, again, the players' poll. The NHLPA polls their players. He came in at 54%. Mark andre Fleury came in second. And here's the thing, DB, that's interesting. Um, the Tampa Bay goaltender, Vasilevsky, he's at 54%, and then it drops off to 8% for second place. So basically, there's one clear-cut yeah. guy, and then it boils <laughs> down to opinion. You have Fleury, you have Price, you have Hellebuck, Tuka Rask even getting some votes as well. So um, interesting there. Everybody seems to agree among the players, uh, and which is also odd because – Players in the Western Conference really only see this player see twice a year. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when you watch him play the saves he makes, I mean, I, I don't, I can't beat that. He's going to win the Vesna again. But Mark Andre Fleury and Carey Price, look, look, you know, it's funny, John. You know, people say you shouldn't waste a first round pick on a goaltender. The let the the final four teams, every goaltender is a first round pick. So we can debate that at some point in time, but. Uh, it's interesting that uh, now look, Flory's been great. I don't know what they were thinking about when they signed um, Panda because I, I just didn't like that deal for, to, get, to, to bring Leonard in. And Mark Andre Flory is one of the main reasons they're in the Final Four right now. Yeah, it's uh, it is fascinating what's going on there uh, for sure in Vegas and and, yeah. and actually across the league. Interesting point there about those uh, those four goaltenders. Now, DB defenseman uh, voted on by the players. Best defenseman in the NHL, Victor Hedman, number one, Roman Yossi, two, Drew Doughty, three, John Carlson. Uh, and I did tweet this out and just say, hey, by the way, yeah. we could talk all about Drew Doughty having a bounce back year. And certainly offensively he did. And the stats were a little bit better. Uh, but the truth of the matter is among the players, and I think this is the fourth year or the fifth year, I forget which one, that this poll has been published. Drew Doughty has been in the top five amongst defensemen. Every year yeah. since uh, this poll was created four or five years ago. So even of late, even during thin times in Los Angeles, even during his quote-unquote yeah. down years uh, for, for Drew Doughty, his peers still perceived that he was one of the top five defensemen in the league, DB. Yeah, and the PA made, uh, made note to say that, you know, guys that who didn't make it 
Seth Jones, Miro Heiskanen, right? And those are two legitimate players that you would think would be up in the voting. So, yeah, and look, you can you can criticize them all you want. You can talk about the contract, but I think not that the player needs validation, John, because he doesn't because of his body of work and because he doesn't want the validation. And the only validation Drew Daddy wants right now, John, is other than winning another Stanley Cup is to be on the Olympic team. I think mm-hmm. that's very, very important to him. But again, you know, this speaks volumes about what the players think about Drew Doughty. Yeah, uh, DB, Drew wants three things, and he's very open about it. He wants to be on the Olympic team. He wants to be nominated for another Norris Trophy, and mm-hmm. he wants to wants to win another Stanley Cup. Yeah, He's made that very, very clear. Anybody that thinks his priorities are other than those three, I, I would like to talk to because <laughs> uh, in, in numerous conversations with Drew Doughty, it appears that those three, yeah. uh, from a hockey perspective, are the most important to him. Now, DB, this year there were some other questions that were included about players and their opinions, and I just wanted to quickly talk touch on these because they were sure. they were at least interesting at least i found them um they asked would you like to see regional divisions carried forward and 68 percent of the players said no 31 percent of them said yes i guess by regional divisions what they're really getting at uh would be do they want to keep keep the uh, all canadian division together yeah. db what, right. what else does it mean because you're not putting an entire division uh in florida yeah, I think part of it is the Canadian division because I'm sure Canadian players would like to travel to the States and not mm-hmm. have to go to, you know, Edmonton 10 times <laughs> or, or Calgary 10 times. So I think it might be just preference of travel to cities and stuff like that. And I think just I think the players are just used to the division. They like the divisional play, um, which really when you go to the next question, John, kind of like, you know, it, it's a divergence with respect to that answer as well. So I just think mm-hmm. it's it's familiarity more than anything else. Um, and I think that you associate these divisions with the bubble and with COVID. And I think you want to get it far away from that. So I think that good point. You know, pl- playing in those divisions to return to normalcy. Yeah, good point. I would yeah. be interested to see. Um, this sort of done by 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 team almost. I don't need to see the individual right. results by player, but sure. for example, if you are a member of the LA Kings or the Anaheim Ducks or even the San Jose Sharks, the division this year, the West Division, at least in my mind, it was not that different, right? You still had the Coyotes, you still right. had Vegas, you yep. still had the California teams. And so, yeah, yeah, you did swap in a couple of teams in, in Colorado and St. Louis and whatnot that yeah. replaced some of the Canadian teams. And again, if you're a Canadian player out here in the Pacific, you probably would vote against it because you like going to Edmonton, you like going to Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the division itself was really, at least in my mind, it wasn't that different. Uh, but you bring right. up a good point. It, it does... Remind me of COVID, and I don't want to think about that anymore. So, you know, moving on would be a good thing. Yep, for sure. And and not only that, some of these other divisions, it's going to be more travel. Like, you know, the Canadian, do the Montreal Canadiens want to keep going coast to coast to play Vancouver eight or nine times? There's a lot more travel there as opposed to mm-hmm. their regular division where there's not that much travel, especially with the uh, with the East because you got all those New York Metro teams in Philly and Pittsburgh. So I think that's a, also an issue there as well. Yeah. Um, by the way, where was the big send-off party for the uh, Arizona Coyotes against the LA Kings? You know, the games this year, DB, at Staples Center, those were the final games between the Kings and Coyotes as division rivals. I don't know. That could be part of Legends Night, John. 
<laughs> okay, so uh, because, you know, next year ushers in the yeah. Seattle Kraken era. Demi, yep. we are recording this on Thursday, July 17th. We are one month away right now from yep. the expansion Based list, by the way, needing to be turned yep. into the league. That gets turned in on June 17th, and then the expansion draft yep. comes up on the 21st. So uh, the Kraken are almost here. It's almost time to get Kraken. Uh, that joke <laughs> will never get old. But uh, the, the, the next question on the... Um, the opinion part of the NHLPA poll was, would you like to see a series-style schedule carried forward? This was like this year where they played the two-game series, yep. which I personally was a big fan of. Most of the players that we talked to throughout the season and managers, DB, they seemed to like it. Um, and I was actually surprised that only 66%, I would have just expected this to be much, much higher. 66% said yes, 33% said no. So there might be, there must be some people out there that they like every game sort of being against a different team. It's just a constant rollover, I guess. I guess that's the only reason why, because, you know, especially when you come to California, if you're an Eastern team, you're going to play LA, then Anaheim, then up to San Jose, then down to Arizona, Mm -hmm. over to Vegas. I mean, that's a lot of, I mean, it's not a lot of distance, John, but mm-hmm. to be able to come into LA, like you said, and play a two or three game series, I think it's great. It's it, look, did they rip it off from baseball? Yeah, probably. But who cares? I think I agree with you. I think it was more exciting. I think, and there's you know, and then there's more analysis, John. You could you could analyze them. You did it during the season about the second game of a two game set or whatever, what the team's record were and how how they prepare differently. Yeah, I thought that was the most fascinating part of the season, being able to watch game one and then knowing that there was going to be an immediate rematch and trying to sort of predict or understand or follow what the adjustments were. What were the adjustments by the home team? What were the adjustments by the road team? And, you know, how did the emotion sort of carry over? It it created a lot of these, like, mini playoff series throughout the season. I thought it was pretty interesting. And not only that, Um, John, in season sometimes, you had situations where they wouldn't play San Jose for three months. mm -hmm. Right Now, granted, because they're in division, they play them more, but... The fact that if you're going to play them, at least play them and get a little more body of work, a little bit more intel on the teams when you're playing them on the ice as opposed to just scouting them in video. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Last one from the NHLPA players poll. Uh, This would be which reverse retro jersey was your favorite? Uh, Much closer in competition here, DB. You had 28% going with the Colorado Avalanche. You had 11% going for the LA Kings. And then there were uh, the Flames were in there, the Wild were in there, the Capitals, the Anaheim Ducks. People love that Wild Wing jersey. And uh, also the Florida Panthers. DB, I I am floored by the fact that the Calgary Flames ended up there. I mean, if you just would have blindly asked me, I would have said, okay, you know, obviously the Kings and Colorado, which is, is considered, you know, those are considered the two best jerseys by most people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people gravitated towards the Minnesota jersey. Yep. I personally like the Washington jersey. Mm-hmm. The Calgary Flames, the black jersey with the horse on the front? Yeah, no. I, no. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I the Habs the jersey Pan- was better. For me, the old school Panthers was good. It yeah, yeah, back there you Panthers. go. Yeah, exactly. But not, no. I, I, didn't, I didn't, no. I wouldn't, I never associate Calgary with that, with that jersey, John. Right. Never. That's what it is. That, that, yeah, I agree with you. It's like really the horse. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Under, I don't understand. I, I, I knew, okay, no. whatever. Uh, I mean, the capital, the, the Capitals jersey, the red one with the uh, you know Joey Juno eagle across yep. the front. It's beautiful, <laughs> exactly. it's gorgeous. I mean, I can't call it the Yager eagle because Yager played for half the teams in the league. That's so true, I to, John. I had to come up with somebody different. And he's sending out recommendations on Gerard Gallant <laughs> these days as well. Wait, oh yeah, what? I liked him. Did I miss this? Yeah, he he. Somebody wrote a, a story on that, and Yager recommended Galan as the coach <laughs> for the Rangers. Good, I like him. He's good. <laughs> okay. The forty fifth guy you you played for, but okay. 
Maybe he can coax Yager uh, to come back over. You know, he's still playing in over the Czech uh, Republic. I think he's playing in like a tier two league or something. For sure, no problem. uh, Wrong I vote for him. He's good. He'll be good in New York. If there's going to be, if there's if there's any sort of long term injury issue among the Rangers this year, look for them to fire up their uh, Yager's thinking about coming over stories. Exactly. What a legend. Okay. Uh, DB, we're having too much fun. Let's take a quick break. We'll get to the Willie Mitchell interview. We'll come back in the third period. We'll talk about the LA Kings roster. We'll have some AHL notes and even uh, an item on the LA Kings opening night uh, possibility. So we'll be back after the break. I never opened myself this way. Life is ours. We live it our way. Welcome back, second period, Kings of the Podcast. We are now joined by, and it's been a challenge to chase this guy down. He's busy, but uh, he, he made time for us today. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, all-around good guy. We love him here in Los Angeles. Willie Mitchell. Willie, welcome to the program. Nice having me on, John. Thanks. Thanks. Does, does it ever get old being introduced as a two-time Stanley Cup champion? Uh, no, because life gets busy when you're chasing around being an entrepreneur and two little kids, <laughs> and sometimes you forget about those magic moments, so... Uh, you are uh, bringing back just a plethora of memories as soon as you say that, uh, all the feels. So thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see how many more feels we can activate here. We'll do a, a little mini uh, <laughs> retrospective on your career and talk about some other stuff. Um, in, in the first period, we talked about numerology, and uh, I'm always fascinated by jersey numbers and how guys you know, selected their number and whatnot. So going back to your days in college, back at Clarkson University, whenever I think of Clarkson, I think of two people. I think of Dave Taylor, of course, longtime member of the Kings. I think of you. Uh, you wore number eight in college, a couple different numbers in the NHL. You wore eight in Vancouver. Obviously, eight wasn't available uh, when you arrived in L.A., but how did you arrive at 33, or did they just give it to you and there's no fun story behind it? <laughs> um, no, there is a story behind that. Is uh, Certainly, eight and two were kind of numbers that I'd worn across my career. And then two fixtures, obviously, on the blue line with uh, Greener and Drew and those numbers, so I was trying to find a number. And my, 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 one of my best friends, Justin Morneau, wore 33. Because I, legit, I didn't have any other calling to a number at all. And he wore 33. And I was just like, you know what? Yeah, I'll go wear 33. It's kind of a cool number. And then certainly uh, what you lead into, uh, I did do a little research in numerology. It's, it's a very powerful number. And if you do a deep dive into that stuff. And so I was forced to do a deep dive into that because I didn't know much <laughs> about it. I'm just like, oh, I just got to learn more about this number. And yeah, there was a lot of stuff that came up with that, and uh, and then I landed on thirty three, and uh, guess what? Been uh, certainly brought uh, a lot of good luck. Yeah. Did you ever do the old veteran thing where you offered to give Dowdy like a thousand dollars and a nice dinner to try to get eight off of him, or you, you knew that Dewey wasn't going to go for it? <laughs> no, I just think out of respect for you know an awesome you know at that point you know he was you know, uh, such a great young player, and then same with Greener, right? It's just like fixtures on on there and there's just a level of respect and really it's yeah they're just numbers at the end of the day i think numbers you know how do you play how how you bring uh, 
how you present yourself to your peers and how you bring yourself to the to the table is really what defines a number. And so, uh, you know, for me, uh, I think hopefully, I, I, you know, I brought some good juju to that number 33 in L.A. that felt like it was, you know, some of my best hockey, certainly in my career. Yes, well, Toby Bjornfoot, who wears it now, certainly does hope that you brought a lot of good juju to it. He's he's just getting his career started, but he can use all the help, right, to uh, to propel himself into it. <laughs> we all can. We all can remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't even think he's 20 yet. He's, uh, he's still a kid, but uh, a, lot, a lot of talent, a lot cool. of talent. Um, let's talk about sort of uh, moving into New Jersey. Um, I remember we talked a lot about your your brief time, I guess we'll call it, with the Devils uh, around the 2012 Cup, because obviously the the easy storyline there with the Kings playing the Devils. But if I remember correctly, you were part of the Black Aces for a while, right, with the Devils uh, in that in that 2000 area? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough to ride shotgun for that. I played uh, a couple games that year. I guess that was 99, 2000. A couple games that year at the end of the season. Actually, I, I, I broke my hand in training camp. I was up in Creek training camp was basically between me and Brian Rafalski on the back end and I just kind of wanted to show I could do the physical game and I broke my hand and I was out all that season until early the next year with the Bennett's fracture my thumb played a couple games at the end of the year and was on a taxi squad so I got to ride shotgun for that whole ride and it was pretty cool to really see the commitment and what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. When, when you think back to that now uh, because obviously when we asked you this type of question in 2012, you know, you're, you're caught up in the moment, the, the rat race of the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2012. But when you think back to that now, what were you able to take from that time during the Black Aces and carry forward into the, you know, 12 and 14 Cup runs, if anything at all? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, the, the Devils are certainly detailed, you know. Um, Lou Lamorello, right? It's, it's the only way for him. And, you know, certainly you're seeing the rewards of that in Long Island as well. Um, so just the level of commitment, you know, that was the main thing. And just seeing the exhaustion, like when you go on a deep run like that, mm-hmm. and it's just like you think you're working hard, but th- th- this is actually working hard. So you know, that was probably my takeaway. And, you know, for me, it wasn't a, a – it was obviously a, a fabulous time in my career to uh, learn what it took to be a professional and they certainly – um, work with their prospects quite hard there. For me, it wasn't a great time in my career because I I felt like I, I chased it and I wanted it too bad, mm-hmm. you know, when I was with the Devils. And then, you know, as soon as I left, I, I didn't have to chase it. I was placed in a young organization like Minnesota Wild and got ice time and I didn't really have to worry. And I kind of just settled into my group and like who I was as a player. So that was my biggest takeaways from Jersey. But certainly, you know, anytime, you know, they, they, they trade a player away and, and they trade me the year after they won the Stanley Cup because they couldn't take a risk on a young defenseman. So it's always nice to give them the old uh, F you sandwich uh, when we win in 12. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. You know, <laughs> expansion uh, expansion is coming up again here just in about a, a month away here. But uh, you mentioned you're traded to an expansion team in 2001. And it's early in your career and different guys have different reactions to being traded. Um, I always remember Mike Richards talking about how much, you know, shocked he was at the moment of being traded and how disruptive it was to his, to his life, if you will. Um, You land in a spot where you get Jack Lemaire as a coach for, for several seasons. And I'm just curious how much you feel that he was able to mold you into the type of player that you were. Yeah. I owe that man everything. And uh, it's actually funny Life gets busy, you know, you get traded in New Jersey. I remember getting traded and it was like, all right, you're on an airplane in two hours and like, 
call my buddies on the team. It's like the fridge is yours, the beer, everything in it, like go. And then you're gone and you leave your home and then you jump into Minnesota and then my career starts to take off and you have a brilliant teacher there like Jock and just kind of busy in a bit of a magical run there too because we, we, we overachieved early on there for sure. And, um, and then you get done in your career and you just reflect and you reflect on, imagine if I would have signed in Minnesota instead of, you know, getting traded to Dallas as a rental, then back home to Vancouver. And then, you know, the, the whole path and journey, but you really don't control a lot of, but you have some moments of control. And, but Jock, I always reflect and it's like, where is he? Which I know he's down in Florida, I've tracked him down. And he's a, he's a cigar guy. So I got to get a box of cigars down to him still. And just, he's one of those people that I just owe him the world. Um, I know he understands how much I think of him, and but you know when you look back on your career and just understand how beautiful of a coach he was, um, how simple he was, how how he made the game so simple that it was just easy for a young player to understand. Yeah, I, I owe him everything, and uh, certainly uh, some of the opportunities post life. I don't think I even would have had those. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, he allowed me to shape my little niche as a stay at home defenseman. I kind of thought I was. Uh, someone else and I, I think at times in my career you know he might have hurt me a little bit because I got so labeled as a defensive defenseman and that's where I expended all my energy and I wasn't you know supposed to be very good offensively but I think I was a lot better offensively than people thought it was just I exposed my energy in a certain way um, um, versus a, a two-way game because I wouldn't have been the player I was if I didn't expend all my energy in that that side of the rink. You guys uh, had some success there as well. I think in 2003, you guys upset Colorado, and then uh, you ended up reaching the conference final. You guys played the Ducks. Uh, so having success in the playoffs, though, does that sort of help help you buy into the message, whatever Jock is saying, because you're seeing it work, rather than you know maybe being on a team for five years with a quote-unquote great coach, but you guys didn't have a lot of success. I would imagine that playoff success you know, sort of ties you to the message, right? Yeah, I think with that leadership, it's all about building consensus and buy-in. And uh, when you, I say dumb it, dumb it down, but guess what? Common sense isn't so common in, in, in the world sometimes. And when he dumbed it down in such a simple way to understand things, I always tell the classic story what you know, arguably could have been the best hockey team ever, ever assembled in the history of the National Hockey League was the Detroit Red Wings. Back in the early 2000s, there I think the, the, the team was what in 2001. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2000 or 2001. Go look at that. Go look at that lineup, right? And uh, stacked. And I remember I got traded. I remember I got traded to Minnesota. I actually scored it on Hasek, cross grain, real finesse goal where I like going one way and slowly put it back the other way and just caught him leaning and he couldn't get his pad on it. And we tied. That was back in the days of ties. I get called in the office the next morning. I'm thinking, here we are, right? I'm going to get polished straight up. And it was, it, it was, and it, it wasn't. It was the exact opposite. He was like a Detroit Red Wings, uh, four chances for uh, Steve Eiserman, Sergey Fedorov, Brett Hall, Luke Robitaille, and you know he could have and go on and on there on that team. And then he goes, Willie Mitchell, four chances for. <laughs> he goes, who scored more goals? Yeah, and guess what? everyone on the planet knows who would score more goals. And that was his message. And it wasn't a message to be like, you can't do this. It was just, you're big, you're strong, you can skate. If you expend your energy on that side of the ice, he says, you're going to play a long, long time and, and make more money than I ever did. 
<laughs> so when Josh Mayer, as many Stanley Cup rings as he has, says that, and I, you know, I thank my lucky stars that if some kids wouldn't get that lesson, mm-hmm. and I got it. I got it that day, and that was the day I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do, and, you know, played a long career uh, because of that, thanks to him. And, um, you, know, you know, certainly at times you always want that satisfaction or recognition as an offensive player and there's the odd day you're like oh man that'd be nice but guess what like clockwork every time of the year as soon as playoffs starts that recognition came and so and that was a time for me that uh you know i always liked and my game uh really shone at that period of time and so i'd rather shine bright at that time of year than in the regular season and not have any hardware yeah for sure right you play 82 games just to get to the the right to play in the playoffs uh, how about this then? Yeah. Interesting time for the Kings organization because they're they're at a very pivotal moment that is kind of reminiscent of what happened in 2010, uh, although not exactly a parallel. But in 2010, you faced the LA Kings. You're with Vancouver. You faced the Kings in the playoffs. It really was the first playoff experience for that core for Kopitar, Brown, Quick, Dowdy, etc. And then you signed with the Kings that summer. And I'm just curious, in hindsight now when you think about it, because at the time, you know, you're saying all the cliche things that you have to say, but what sold you to come to L.A. at that particular moment, having just beaten that team in the playoffs? Well, Lewicki and Dean, and and I say that because it was such a weird signing for myself and for any team who was going to sign me. It was coming off nine months of my life getting taken away with a hit from behind from Malkin in Vancouver. I was having my best season yet as a professional. Um, the year before I had a really great season where I was kind of, you know, 20, 23 to 25 points from the back end without any power play time, high plus minus. And I was kind of on track again. I think I had five goals by Christmas um, in Vancouver and then I got hit behind. And uh, so I just wanted to get my life in order because when you're in a chronic pain like that, you actually don't care about hockey anymore. You just, you almost, give up on hockey and just, I just want to be normal again. And mm-hmm. then as soon as you do that, it's funny how your health comes and my health came. I could have took offers on July 1st. I didn't do it. Uh, cause I wasn't healthy. And, um, it was just more about getting my health back. And, uh, and then Dean came calling and I had, you know, St. Louis, I had Washington, uh, you know, a bunch of great teams, uh, that needed you know, a player of my style, let's say. And I just, the conviction and passion from, him and Dean, as far as being the right fit as a player and a person in LA, was really instrumental of uh, having me there. They, 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 they did their due diligence and uh, big time. And I remember Dean vividly saying, "You know, if you come here, it's going to be tough, isn't it?" And I'm kind of like, "What are you talking about? Like, you don't trust my ability or 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 what?" And he's like, "No, your heart's in Vancouver." And he and I'm <laughs> I look at him and I'm just like. He knew, and and I respect the living daylights out of Dean for seeing that and understanding that is uh, he admired it, and uh, he knew as a BC boy, born and raised, uh, going to Canucks games as a kid, dreaming of playing there, and then I played there and gave my heart and soul to the team, and then and then all of a sudden I was having to make this change, and and he and he knew, and he just and and the fact that he had empathy and understood that situation and understand how much when I'm in, I give to my teams I play on just knew that it was going to be the right fit in LA. And, uh, I'd say out of the gate, it wasn't my best hockey. Um, part of that, I don't think 
Terry Murray really understood the player I was either. I didn't I didn't necessarily see eye to eye with him. It's not that like we had a bad relationship. It's just you know I, I don't think he really understood the style of game that I played and how it could benefit the team. And then when Daryl came in, it was like okay, here we are. I'm gonna just find my groove and. And it, and it happened, and uh, I think, you know, at that point in time, L.A. got the best Willie Mitchell and uh, ended up being really good for both parties. I mean, yeah, you just skipped over a number of different years there, right, from 2011, yeah. which is fine. I mean, 2011, Vancouver, um, you know, I think they went to the cup final without you, so that had to sting. But then 2012, yeah. you guys eliminate them. Uh, Jared, yeah. Jared Stoll, you know, big gold and whatnot. But um, yeah. That's a hard coaching change to make, though. I mean, that's that's not just a coaching change to go from Terry to go to Daryl. I mean, that's uh, that's making a hard left, uh, just to say the least, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Like I, I don't know. Like I think guys, you know, you play for a lot of different coaches over your career, and you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you just want someone who has a you know solid game plan and solid structure that you can land back on and. Yeah, there's guys you maybe massage players more, and there's guys who are just a little bit more hurt and abrupt as far as their coaching style, all that. I just think, you know, personally, like I said, it's nothing about Terry. I just think at that point in time, I don't think he really understood our team and the players' abilities and how they kind of fit well together at that point in time, mm-hmm. right? I think, and, uh, you know, someone like Daryl, he just – he can cut through that BS really quick and he can understand who's here, who's committed in a hurry. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, he is a master motivator. There's no doubt about it at times cross the line. No doubt about that. Um, but there's one thing that he had is he had really good hockey sense, mm-hmm. right? He had great hockey sense and knowing that the pulse, he knew the, the finding moment in the game, what most people wouldn't know are defining moments. Right could be mm-hmm. as early as the first period four on four and just because the other team is a more offensive team than you you'd never want to go to a four on four with them right because it just gives them a bunch of energy mm-hmm. and could change the game if you're carrying the flow and just stuff like that and so you know for me it was a blessing for sure and no doubt i had run-ins with daryl but super thankful for him and kind of what he's done for well the organization in la and certainly uh as players there and finding our kind of uh, right mix and fit yeah for sure but yeah 11 11 was you allude to 11 11 was hard it was really hard for me because I, I wanted everyone on that team to win there's nothing i'd love to see more as a province of british, british columbia get get a stanley cup but on the other side it was like you know you're you know uh, 35 years old and you're like oh is that my chance like if i would have stayed in vancouver and you know lo and behold they ran into the boston bruins and got pushed over and that's why, you know, part of me was like, oh, exactly me. That's what they're missing <laughs> on the back end, right? Sure. They didn't have someone, they didn't have anyone who could match up against their big players, right? And, sure. you know, and then lo and behold, like I say, it's the next year we meet them and, you know, the rest was history there. Obviously, Daryl, legend in Los Angeles, you know, uh, leading the team to two Stanley Cups and whatnot. But correct me if I'm wrong, though. I mean, you just mentioned it a minute ago that you and Daryl had your run-ins. It, it was rather tense there, I believe, uh, maybe 2013 playoffs or 2014 playoffs where you guys had a disagreement or disagreements, um, if I remember correctly, about your sort of treatment for the knee injury, right? You were doing some plasma replacement yeah. or something. Or just sort of uh, clue me in on that. I, I forget some of the details there. Yeah, no, well, I, I joke around with the guys, right? I was the only guy that went back to back cup. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took a year off, sure. 
right? <laughs> but I did, right? You did. You definitely, you definitely, definitely did. You didn't play at all in 2013, so yeah. <laughs> Correct, right? But you know, unfortunately, no one, no one expects that. But yeah, I, I, yeah, you know, I think, you know, you'd have to ask Daryl. I don't want to speak for him. I'll just tell you about me. Is that, yeah, no, I, uh, you know, I certainly won the cup in 2012. And the last thing I want to do is I, I just want to get going and playing 23, 2013, and and repeat again. And uh, I was training in the summer and blew out my knee, had a surgery. Um, I think on the surgery they might have missed something, right? And uh, you know, I'm bulgous, uh, which is not need. They repaired some cartilage, and then where they pulled out the cartilage, actually put more pressure on an area, which is my uh, lateral tibial plateau on my knee. And so I tried to come back, and I tried to skate. My knee kept on blowing up, kept on blowing up, kept on blowing up, and then. Yeah, I just wanted to see a different orthopedic surgeon, so I went out and to the Mayo Clinic um, and and uh, got a second opinion out there with a guy who worked with Steve Eisenman on his knee, and he was steadfast on, you just need time. You can't grind this thing into the ground. And so he went in, and actually all he did was repair a little bit of cartilage again, kind of smooth it out, cleaned it out, and he's like, just don't rush it. That's what happened before. They're going to get in the playoffs. You're going to get all this pressure. And he's like, don't, because... You might, it's not about playing again at this point in time. You might not even be able to walk again if you try and do that stuff. Wow. And so I listened. So I listened and, and it sucked, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, um, but then guess what? I was ended up playing in 2014 and, you know, still run to this day, right? Well, on my knee, even though I've had four knee surgeries on it. Mm. So yeah, I think there's a little, little tension there. You know, Daryl pushing, you know, and even Dean, for that matter, pushing, get back. And I understand why they wanted to get me back because you want to repeat. And, and certainly I wanted to be back, but I also had to do the right thing for for me as an individual. And sometimes when you're in those pressure situations, it's now, now, now. And, you know, in retrospect, it was, it was a smart move by myself. And I think it was a smart move for the LA Kings because we ended up winning in 2014 and I was in the lineup and healthy. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Daryl, you know, he's old school. Just rub some dirt on it or, you know, tape and chewing gum and you'll be, you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a good one. And then, uh, you know, I did my research. You know, Daryl's a buttons guy. I did my research. And, you know, his <laughs> career ended on knee surgeries. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. His knee, right? And so, you know, I had a big hill to climb when I came back in 2014 because it was like, oh, he's 37. He's not going to be the same. He's coming back off a knee surgery. He's not going to be the same. And, and it took me forever to get Daryl's trust in 2014. And actually, in some ways, I'm not sure if I ever got it until I, until he had to. <laughs> and that was down the stretch. You know, he ended up playing me a little bit more. We had a couple of injuries. And, and, and then I played played a lot, like the same as I did in 2012, just behind Drew in minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think I battled that a little bit just because, you know, which is natural. You know, sure. older player coming off of surgery and, he has a preconceived notion of how I was going to come back. And even though I thought I was playing well, um, I think, I, like I said, I just had to go over and above on that. And ironically enough, it's actually funny when I threw one in 14 and, you know, salary cap restraints because of when you win, you get penalized, you know, so Dean's in this position and they end up signing Marion instead of me and kind of as the odd man out. And it was funny because I think it was in, I guess that would have been 20, 2015 season. I know that they were calling Florida to try and get me back, and it just never worked out. So, 
Wow. Funny how the world works that way. Yeah. It is funny um, how that works. How about a happier note here? Uh, when, when you came to Los Angeles, I don't want to say you were later in your career, but I mean, it, you were, you weren't the kid yeah, yeah. that you were, you know, yeah. earlier in your career. I'm just curious though. You were the best interview in the room when you were in LA. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's, that's the honest truth. I've always said this. I, I love talking to you back then. You know, you ask Willie Mitchell how to t- ask him what time it is. He'll tell you how to build a watch. You're just, you're that guy who's interesting to talk with. And you were a great interview in a room full of great interviews, that. right? Yeah. Matt Green, Stoli. I mean, you never know what Dewey's going to say. I mean, it's a it's a great room, but but you were the best. It was of, a great it was a great room that way. There's no doubt about it. It was it was, it was gold. It was gold back then. Yeah. Um, but you were the best interview in in that room, and I'm just curious: were you always that way? Because you know, I didn't know you earlier in your career, or was it something that you became more comfortable and sort of came out of your shell over time, or just what were you like earlier in your career to talk to? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm a pretty outgoing guy and nothing to hide. And, you know, I think a lot of players by nature, the media and stuff can get misconstrued and and quotes can be manipulated that a lot of guys uh, are scared of that. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they, they hide because of that because they, they don't want to get themselves in trouble, but I'm kind of a, what you see, what you get guy. So if someone misquoted me on that, I'm going to ask them to call you out on it too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and so, that way I could just always be myself instead of just being, you know, someone who that kind of being shy or cautious all the time. And that's no, no place to live life. And so that's kind of how I've always been. And I'll always be that way. It's, you know, respectful for sure. I like to think of people, but, but also you're just going to get what you get. Being that way now, I'm imagining uh, that would help you in your, in your post career, right? So now you're involved, you're, you're running a resort. Tell us a little bit about that and just sort of how you think maybe you've transitioned from being the hockey player into being this now entrepreneur, businessman, you know, type thing. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, uh, hockey culture doesn't work in real life culture. <laughs> <laughs> you don't work hard enough, right? We just, we, we just send you the minors or we'll trade you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, it's a different culture for sure. Just understanding it. Um, but really it's the same thing you take your strengths as a player. And that for me is, uh, you know, I had good situational awareness. I could think the game well and see everything happening before it was happening. I wasn't the fastest. I didn't have the hardest shot, but that's something I always did well is I could just see things happening. And, you know, my first bit as a entrepreneur is, uh, I didn't trust my instincts. Um, you know, I have two partners, one partner has been fairly successful, a serial entrepreneur, and I was kind of seeing some wrongs and out of respect. That's the only way I believe it is I kind of stood behind and didn't say anything. And then finally I started to settle in. I was just like, no, trust my instincts. And when I started trusting my instincts and our business was started to take off and grow at like 30% year over year. So it's, uh, you know, that was my biggest lesson is to understand like we're, you know, I, I used to be an employee. Right. But mm-hmm. Now I'm the employer. I'm the managing partner. And, you know, I have a hundred and just under 115 people I employ. Um, and just understanding org charts, reporting structures, so you don't get lost in low level stuff and stay high level. And uh, just understanding that. But it, yeah, it's been great. It's been awesome. But it's just like hockey. And, and one is that, you know, you know, good coaches like Daryl, Jacques Lemaire, I could go on, is that they create a clear, defined vision and expectation and how you're get, how you're going to get there. 
And as long as you build consensus within that and be respectful in the way you're doing that, well, then guess what? You're going to have people working for you and working uh, hard, but also hard and smart. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's what we try and do is just clearly define the roles and responsibilities in the business, who's the sharp end of the sword on those. And then, like I say, is like have information flow up instead of diving down into the, the weeds where all of a sudden you're getting reactive versus proactive and and yeah, those things from hockey certainly have helped, and it's been a fun journey. We kind of had the property about four years now. So, oh yeah, well, it's yeah, it's a small resort up in Tofino in Canada. We're sixty-three rooms, two restaurants, uh, gym, and uh, and we do a bunch of adventure tours. Anything from free diving to whales, bears, hot springs, floating saunas, that kind of gig. Where we just kind of like to do the full circle kind of experience, where we forage off the land and sea and get back in the restaurant and have a time doing it it's also one of the more beautiful spots in the world from from what i understand too so the scenery probably yeah, we're helps lucky. A little bit. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't i wasn't too stupid that way at least we did it in the right <laughs> location on the planet that's for sure yeah i know we butt up so like we um the federal park what we sit next to on a peninsula so it's like tofino can't go out it can only go up and then even tofino where it lies it's like right at the end of this park and then the other side of it's the pacific ocean so it's yeah it's from a real estate dirt play it's you you probably couldn't walk into anything easier and better um we have a we'll look out a, a temperate rainforest of old growth you know on the other side we have the pacific so um yeah it's a cool spot and we like to call it our uh the malibu of the north right that's kind of our little thing is there you go it, it is it, it certainly <laughs> is right it's kind of taking off because you know we have kind of the hipsters but then we have the early people who kind of found Tofino, kind of those ultra granola kind of people, backpackers, and it's just an eclectic mix of people. It just uh, really works. All right. So I appreciate your time today. I have a couple more before we let you run. I'm going to hit you with a couple of funny ones. Uh, sure. You probably won't remember this, but you were the first person who ever turned me on to Tesla because uh, you were driving a Prius and we used to joke around about that. <laughs> and then one day, one day you wanted to tell me that you got rid of the Prius or you were getting rid of it and you were getting a Tesla. I had no idea what that. I'm like, what is a Tesla? What are you talking about? And, and your eyes just lit up and uh, you gave me about a 15 minute speech. You might have even sold me on a Tesla at that moment uh, because you gave me the pitch on Tesla and why it was a great car. So I found that to be funny as I was digging through some of my notes and remembering those those days. Um, your teary-eyed interview that you gave me in the bowels hey, of... Can I make one note? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I yeah, make, yeah. I'm going to jump in one note there. I want to pull this up because I want to cry right now. It's like you're rubbing this into me. <laughs> so I read a stat the other day. And so, yeah, I was OG Tesla. I actually have... They, they released 200 into the United States and there was like a waiting list of like 13,000 people. And I found a loophole that it released a hundred into Canada at the same time. So instead of going the waiting list in the States, I went in Canada. I got like number like 72 because no one knew about the car at that point. In time. Wow. But this, so that's how I beat the system. But the one I God, I wish I had it in front of me, but there was a stat. It just tells you about, you know, consumerism is that if you took that, let's say, I think the car was 85 grand US at the time. If you took that $85,000 and had that in Tesla stock, it is something <laughs> crazy. Like it's like $16 million today or something like that. Great. Like it's not. So moral of the story is don't buy things, invest in your future. 
there you go. So I had to say that I, I would really love to pull that stat exactly up, but like legit, it's double digit millions by a long shot. Wow, crazy. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure you had fun with the car though for a while. So yeah, well, I still own it. Oh, there you go. That's, that's, a of, that's how good of a car it is. Well, you know, <laughs> even better. I went from a Prius to it. Right, the boys <laughs> would always curse you like, "Hey, hey, Mitchie, you played in the National Hockey League." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. It's just a people mover. You know, it's just like." You drive it off the lot, you lose all this money, and that's why I bought a Tesla because I, you know it was obviously I wanted to be an early adopter and do, drive it for a bigger and better purpose, right? Sure. And go figure. I should have just invested in the F and stock. <laughs> Lesson learned. Um, yeah. There's the teary-eyed interview again. These are probably things you don't even remember, but there was the teary-eyed interview that uh, you gave me in the the bowels of Staples Center. I think it was the day of the parade, and uh, we were we were referencing some of the comments that you had made to me at the time when you signed in Los Angeles, and I was sort of asking you about them and how it had all sort of come full circle because you had said that you came to LA with the purpose of winning a cup, and you liked what you saw, and you were sold on it, and uh, you know to be able to do that. And the thing though that you said in that interview, I went back and listened to it, that stuck with me today that probably didn't hit me back then was was you were really proud of the prestige that you had brought to the King's organization and about the fact that you there's now something real about the LA Kings. This is what Dean had talked about when he first came in 2006 was, right? He wanted guys to get the ta- the, the logo tattooed on their, their butt and things. And, and you were basically saying, look, there's a rich history here now because this team has won and the players that are playing in the future, they will look back at this you know, differently than the players who had come up prior and had looked at the LA Kings as like, oh yeah, cool, they had these great players. You know, they had Gretzky, they had Marcel Dion or whatever, but they didn't have that winning culture and that you were part of that uh, team that built the winning culture. I just a really fascinating interview. Typical Willie Mitchell, very, very introspective. <laughs> um, well, uh, and I think we all should have been, right? And that's everyone from top to bottom in the organization, mm-hmm. right? Is like, God damn it, we worked so hard. Right, we chased this for our whole lives, and Billy, yeah, which everyone, right? And uh, you know, I give Dean lots and lots of credit, right? Is uh, you know, he really understood the DNA of the team and the players. Not only did he find players that were good players, but our group, right? I can't sit there and say there was a passenger. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, even Slava Voyanov, you know, t- typically you know, Russians will get stereotyped and all that. It's like man, he played hard, mm-hmm. right? He, he, he was not a soft Russian, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and Dean knew that he was going to get players with just character, character, but still had some skill set. And then he was brilliant enough to understand that he could bring in Daryl and he would pallet Daryl because some players can't, right? Mm-hmm. They go the other way. Mm-hmm. And they, he knew that the, the horse could get whipped, right? And so, <laughs> yeah, is, is, is that, yeah, I think, we all should be, man. Like that's, that's no easy thing to do to win a Stanley Cup and do it over again in a stretch and create a legacy uh, for the LA Kings and certainly one that we're tied together and proud forever. Um, we should feel proud about that. And guess what? That's a benchmark for Rob and the team now and and teams going forward as they evolve. Is they always compare to that. Um, game evolves, and you got to put together your team and coach differently to, to adjust just like any business. You constantly check back and have your planning and, and revisit, but it feels good to certainly bring that culture. And actually, you know, the thing was, you know, you know, Gretzky certainly brought a limelight to LA. There's no doubt in Luke and, mm-hmm. and all those guys, but to bring it back, like I just remember, like, you know, I was in 
was in Venice Beach. <laughs> I drove down to Venice Beach after 2012, and they collected a bunch what lived down there of producers, actors, and all that. And big signs down there. It's like, congratulations, L.A. Kings, home of Willie Mitchell, Venice Beach. Like, man, we should be proud of that, right? Absolutely. It's really cool to bring that, bring that back, and you know, hopefully there's a, a bunch of fans, uh, you know, in, in the greater Los Angeles area that, you know, now they can, you know, one, they got to realize something that they all dreamed of it too, is uh, uh, bringing it to LA and, and hopefully it just gives them that hope about it happening again too. So it, it definitely is the, the benchmark that uh, the organization is, and, and whether it's fans or people in management now that they're striving towards and they refer back to often, you know, the 2012 season, even looking at 2010, we were talking earlier about the parallels and sort of people trying to understand yeah. where this team is at on the, the arc uh, and trying to get there. But uh, Drew Doughty obviously agreed with me, by the way, uh, about getting a, a conversation with Willie Mitchell. You guys were going to Europe and uh, I had asked Drew, you know, what's one of the most an- annoying things that he's thinking about or what's something he's not <laughs> looking forward to going on the trip? And he said the thing that he wasn't looking forward to was Willie Mitchell. And I said, why? And he said, uh, because a lot of us are going to want to sleep on the plane right over there. And Willie's going to be giving us lectures and talking a lot. So clearly, um, <laughs> clearly, Drew. You know why? You know why? I can't sleep on an airplane, right? I, oh. I, actually, I always had a fear of flying. They actually had an engine drop on an airplane. But yeah. Oh, wow. I, you know what? I, I, you know what? I, I enjoyed the game, and guess what? I enjoyed being around the guys. So I, was, I was happy to have a good chin wag with anyone on an airplane. So that's why he was joking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Drew probably needed a lecture too. So yeah, hopefully you influenced him a little bit. Um, we used to play word association back in the day, Willie. I have a list of seven yeah. defensemen, seven forwards. We'll do word association. What do you want? You yeah. want the defenseman or you want the forwards? Whatever, fly after it. Doesn't matter. All right, uh, Dustin Brown. Heavy. Kopitar. <laughs> I want to say curls right now, but just <laughs> uh, play it anyway. Getzloff. Sorry? Ryan Getzloff. Annoying. <laughs> How about Kessler? <laughs> Most annoying. <laughs> Jeff Carter. Silky and smooth. Mike Richards. Let's go fishing. Kyle Clifford. Respect, old school. And, and since we didn't do the defenseman, uh, what's your favorite Matt Green story? Oh, my God. I don't know. There's so many. <laughs> you know, one of the funniest guys that, you know, I didn't get a lot of time with him out of the gate because we – our family ended up moving to Venice Beach and everyone was kind of what I called the gated community in Manhattan Beach. Um, we just wanted to get away from the limelight because we were in Canada. But And then I started to settle in with Matt and like understand him better and get along with him uh, as far as just getting some time more just than anything. Oh, God, there's so many. I don't know. Like, uh, How about this? Have you ever met anybody with a quicker wit than Matt Green. No, no, hell no, right? right? And, you know, certainly it's just fun just sitting down and having a beer with him. And, yeah, I, all this has just been great. And I know that he actually he just reached out the other day because I've been, like, feeding it from one side. I'm like, okay, I'll have all you guys up here in Tofino. Let's get a reunion going So he's starting. And so, you know, the world's opening up. And, man, I would love to see all those guys and just get together, reflect, and, 
life, like I said, gets busy. So just sit down and have a beer with Greener is just one of the best things ever to do because he is such a witty man, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and just to sit down with all those guys again and have some laughs and just there'll be a lot of sutsy stories for sure of chirps <laughs> with him because there's always a lot happening with Daryl. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, just uh, class Greener. You just like I say, you do anything for a teammate and. Uh, you know, you know, silently, he was he was our leader there. You know, so many great leaders we had, but just had a way with that wit to like bring a group together. And uh, you know, I always think Quickie's one of the ultimate leaders. He's just fire and passion. But you know, we had a bunch of guys, Soli and Brownie and like say Richards and all that. We had so many great leaders on that team, but he just had a way of just getting everyone together. And um, yeah. Uh, I could part of our best. I could see you and Matt Green getting together today and commiserating about your two different fields. So Matt Green is in hockey management, and he would be commiserating about how younger players today <laughs> are soft compared to the way he was. And you probably could be complaining about some of your employees saying that this current generation they don't work as hard as you know kids did when <laughs> you were growing up. Like even though it's two different industries, you I could see a lot of uh, it's parallels. A parallel, there's no <laughs> doubt, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like before respect was earned or, or opportunities were earned. Now it's like here's a silver platter, <laughs> <laughs> yes. right? Yes. You get paid. You get you get paid on on potential, not paid on what you've done, right? So absolutely. You know, but we we got a little bit of that. We can't chirp, right? You guys before us, man, right? You want to talk about it, right? Is you know those guys had to wait so long just to get the free agency, so they really had to deliver, and then they got paid on the back end, right? So it certainly changed, but yeah, just in general, I just love to see everyone, right? And and guess what? It's near. We're what we're nine years in now so hopefully next year there's something that transpires i'll be the first to get down there i uh, I, I have a strong feeling that uh there will be a 10-year anniversary party in los angeles actually multiple parties one probably for the public at the arena in front of the fans <laughs> and there probably will be a really good one that'll take place you might have to venture into the south bay though willie i don't think the party's going to be in venice beach but uh no i'm okay with that <laughs> okay, hey trust okay. me i'm okay with that and <laughs> I'm more concerned is a lot of those guys are still working hockey. I'm the guy who's like, okay, I'm done hockey. I don't want anything to do with it. Right. And I'm more concerned about my liver, my tolerance to try and keep up with that crew. They're still around that hockey lifestyle. It has, has to do with a couple of cool originals, right? So I got to I gotta find my game before I go down there or find a way to uh, uh, nurse. Yeah, you didn't know you were going to go back into training camp next year, did you? Just <laughs> training camp just for the trip, just for the reunion. Yeah. Willie, it's yeah. been fantastic. I could do a whole other hour with you. I have a hundred other questions, uh, but I'll let you run. I, I yeah, we'll to do get... it again sometime. It's we'll been... do it again sometime. It's... Yeah, it's funny. It's like I've been so out of hockey in like the last, I don't know why, it's like the last little while I finally uh, got okay with like reintroducing myself into it and stuff. So, But it's been fun because it's, it's like I said, life gets, gets busy and it's like chatting with you and bringing up some of the stuff, the reflection. It's like sometimes in life we don't celebrate all these wins enough. We're always working on the next thing or working hard over here, but reflection's good. So thank you for that. It's a gift. Well, you're very welcome. As the world opens up, I'm going to look to uh, book book my uh, visit up to your resort there as well. It sounds beautiful, sounds wonderful, and uh, I appreciate your time for coming on, Willie. We'll talk soon. Sure, thank you. There you go, Willie Mitchell. We'll be back after the break and talk more about it.
let's ask Elliot that because John Holden, the mayor, uh, covers the LA Kings. Uh, basically, to summarize, said uh, King's summer shopping list doesn't include Eichel. Elliot, you know John is really plugged in. He he knows the Kings really well. Um, if if he's reporting that, then I think there's a better than a much better than zero chance that that is exactly what they're thinking. Now things can always. What about change. what about Reinhardt? I'll say this: I've heard there's a lot of interest in Reinhardt. I, I've heard I've heard there's a lot, and you know I think the thing that makes Reinhardt a little trickier is that you've got to do a contract with them. Um, so that's not to say it's impossible, but I think it makes it a little trickier. But I, I've heard there's there's a lot of interest. Anyway, moving on. No, we're not um, moving on. We're not. We're not moving on. Because I, I, we were talking about Eichel being traded, then you threw Reinhardt at him. And, and but I want to stay on Eichel for a second because I think this LA article is interesting. Yeah, like I said, that guy John Holvin, he's very plugged in with the Kings. You know, if he if he's writing that, someone very legitimate is telling him that. And so you don't Rob, feel like Rob Blake in an me. article that I read is looking for two top six forwards. Yeah. They're, Sam Reinhardt things, is a, he, I mean, does he not just like uh blank right in your face? Uh, like a, like a red light bulb at night. Yeah. You know, the Kings, the Kings are going to be very busy this off season. I, I think, you know, you heard Drew Doughty said it's, it's enough losing let's go. And I think there's an, it's an organization that Jeff absolutely feels that way and they can do whatever they want. They've got cap room. They've got prospects. They've got picks as you talked about there. Uh, Craig, they can do whatever they want and they will be busy. Like, I think they're going to go to teams like Toronto and, and Tampa who are cap tight and they're going to say, what do you want to do? And we want good players and we'll see where they go from there. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the podcast with DB and the mayor. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, third period, and uh, DB. I mean, we have a couple things to get to there. First of all, thanks to Elliot Friedman for the plug on the uh, the Jack Eichel story. Yes, it is up on mayorsmanor.com. It doesn't appear that the Kings are in the market for Jack Eichel. We had talked on the last episode, I believe, DB, about the fact that it looks like the Kings are targeting two top six forwards as their priority. Um, so that that is interesting, and we can, as the summer progresses, we can get into the debates about which players may or may not be available. I know some Kings fans are drooling over the idea of, you know, is Landis God going to become available, even though there are reports right now that they're attempting to re-sign him. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an interesting team, though, that's entered into the conversation, entered into the chat, as they say. The Anaheim Ducks, perhaps, could be in the market for Jack Eichel, allegedly, according to some of the rumors. What do you make of that, TB? Well, before we do that, John. Uh-oh. The same show that Elliot, you might want to call Elliot. Okay. Because Elliot went on WGR today and said this, quote, there are people that think the Kings are completely lying about being out of the Sabres captain, being out on Jack Eichel. I, there are people that believe that. I, I agree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think those people need to check their sources too. Just, uh, I, think, I think that they're, this is just my opinion, DB. Uh, yeah. I think that that's wishful thinking on people's part. I think that they're trying to create interest, whether it's Sabres management, whether it's Jack, whether it's his, mm-hmm. his, his agent. Uh, somebody's trying to drum up interest. Well, it's um, interesting that Elliot would say that the Kings are lying. Well, no, I don't think or he said people, the Kings are no, lying. No, that's right. He's not. Yeah, let me correct that. It's interesting he would go on air and say that some people are saying 
that they're not being totally transparent. I won't say why. Yeah. Um, let me go back and uh, if I have time, I'll try to listen to the interview too because we, our favorite word on the program, Dennis, is context. So what was the context yeah. of the question? Uh, because yeah, certainly I, people have said that, suggested that to me as well. Here's the reality, Dennis. None of us know for sure, right? Yeah, exactly right, what's exactly, going on. John, We're reporting based upon sources. What I'm telling you though Amen. is- that I double check and triple check all of my information from through multiple people when I no, report that type valid- of stuff. Wait, wait, wait! You don't need to validate yourself. Oh no, 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 no! I'm just I'm trying to explain for Kings fans that are out there though and that are wondering, right? So there's there there's a difference, Dennis. When you and I come on here and we talk about our opinions, yeah. our, some of our opinions are right, some of our opinions are wrong. At the end right. of the day, they're just our opinions. Other times, you're reporting something. I'm reporting something. We're reporting right. that we've heard something. It right. can, we might have heard it from an agent. We might have heard it from a player. We might have heard it from management or whatever. Um, the only thing I'm just saying is, according to my sources, it, it's never even been close. It hasn't even been a, a possibility or a maybe. It's a, they have a clear vision of where they want to go, and their list of players is, is, is different. And um, Yeah, sure. I mean, could we be lied to? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I guess we'll find out. Uh, let, let's get back to Anaheim, though, rather than yeah. make it about the Kings. Because I think the Anaheim thing is interesting, Dennis, because I tweeted this the other day. Yeah. That for the Ducks to do a deal, you know, just sort of spitballing here, for the Ducks to do a deal, it probably would need to be one of two things. If you're going to take the big three that they have, which would be Drysdale, Zegris, and Comtois, if you're going to take them right. off the table, then you mm-hmm. have to put this year's first round pick on the table, yeah. which is the number three pick, right? Agreed. So you're going to get the number three pick, and then you're going to get, and there were like five names that I listed, including Lacombe, and there are several others, and you're going you're gonna to get a couple of those high-end assets, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're Anaheim and you don't want to part with the number three pick this year, and it would be interesting, right? Because, if I mean, you could get a really st- a stud defenseman and you put that player back there with Drysdale, and, you know, those guys are going to eat up 45 minutes a night for the next 10 years. The Ducks are going to be pretty mm-hmm. lethal. But if right. you if if you hold on to this year's pick, you're probably okay. then gonna ha- yeah probably you absolutely are gonna have to give up one of the big three. Oh yeah, no and, and I don't even know if Comtois in a package with next year's deal, next year's first, would do it uh, coming no. from Anaheim. No, it, it wouldn't. I don't think for for Sam Reinhart, not for Jack Eichel. So so you're telling me that Comtois and 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 their first round pick next year, along with yeah. Along with two other players, which could be first or second round equivalents, either guys that are already playing, you could throw yeah. in a Max Jones. I mean, I wouldn't trade Max mm-hmm. Jones, but you could put in a Max right. Jones. You could put in some. You're telling me that those guys wouldn't do it? Four players? You don't think? No, I don't think so. I, I think that the top, the top has to be, a, you know, a potential star player. Who's the, John? Who's the third pick overall? Well, I, you, you could go a number of different ways. I mean, if you're going to go forward or if you're going to go defenseman, I, it really well, it's me, not it's not Owen Power. No right? power. No power goes one, and then right. I think that uh, I, I think that Seattle probably Barniers? is going to take Matty Beniers, right? Beniers, uh, right? Okay. Because look, uh, here's the thing: if you're Seattle, you would be smart to take a defenseman from the standpoint that typically, you know, the, the best teams are built from the the net out, right. typically, right? Right. But you could argue right. that you need, but you need five boxes filled. You need the goalie, the two defensemen, and you need the two centers. Those five are the core of any good, successful team. So if you're if you're the Kraken, 
getting mm-hmm. one of those top tier defensemen would be outstanding yep. because those sure. are the four at the top of the food chain this year, right? So you get one of those and you mm-hmm. pair it with whatever it is that you're getting in the expansion draft and you have a strong core there to build from, right? But at the end of the day, you also know that it takes longer for defensemen sort of to achieve their maturity Correct. in the right. NHL and you're the Kraken and what you're probably going to need as an expansion team is you're going to need goals and if you're kind of following the Vegas model, right? then you're going to right. want offense over defense. And so I think, you know, and, and look, you can't go wrong with Matty Beneers either. I mean, that's, that's pretty outstanding. Oh, agreed. So, yeah. you know, some even see, think that he is the number one overall pick. I don't see how anybody passes on power to take him, but different story for a different show, closer to the draft, sure. maybe. Um, so at number three, you end up with a lot of different choices. I mean, he's not going to take the goaltender, number one, right? So so who, yeah. who would they take? I mean, if they're going to def- defense, they're going to take... Uh, Anaheim, I'm talking about, uh, you know, they could take Clark. They could take uh, Hughes. Uh, you could take Luke Hughes. Hughes. Uh, you, you better, if you want Hughes, you better take him at three because he's not getting past four. Yeah, right. right, uh, right. The Devils are certainly going to want to take, you know, Jack's brother. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. I, 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 All right. Well, let me give you another name, John. Sure. At the top of the, the trade for Anaheim, going to Buffalo. Okay. John Gibson. You know, here's the thing. I, I would not be surprised by it. I really wouldn't because yeah. they have a strong goaltender coming up behind them. And from a, I mean, you're worried about it because uh, you don't have somebody immediately. I mean, you have to have a lot of faith yeah. if you're going to take a goaltender yeah. that doesn't have any NHL experience and you're going to hand him the starting job for next season. But sure. the Ducks aren't ready to compete next year either. They're, you know, no they're question. a little bit behind in the curve. So you go out and you get a two-year bridge. They can get somebody bridge. to market, right. Yeah, you get you a two-year bridge vet and that buys you time you know, uh, you know, to, to get ready, kind of like what they and did with Cal Peterson. A problem, and it solves a problem in Buffalo. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a name that makes a lot of sense. Now, yep. th- you have to have a, a philosophical conversation, though, as well. If you're the Anaheim Ducks, what's your philosophy? If your philosophy sure. is no, we think that we have an abundance of these type of players. They certainly do have an abundance of young forwards. We've talked about right. that for many years. And so to them, maybe they think it makes more sense to trade the forwards uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. but but if you were to, if you were to tell me that they could do a deal uh, that doesn't include the big three, that doesn't include Comtois, doesn't include uh, Zegers, and doesn't include Drysdale, and they could get Jack out of it, I mean, that's, that's, oh yeah, then you can do it. Of course. That's a, that's a, I just don't think that's pretty interesting. That's why Jeff Solomon's there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Jeff Solomon is a very smart man. Uh, Jeff Solomon. There, there is no doubt in my mind, and I don't know this for sure. I've spoken to many people. Sure. I didn't even have to ask this question, but there's not a doubt in my mind that Jeff Solomon had something to do with Mike Stuthers ending up in Anaheim oh. as the assistant coach. The, the timing of it is right. too coincidental. So uh, I'll just tell you this. I already, I already thought that Sully was a smart man, Dennis. He's even now smarter he- than I thought he was. Wow, he moved up on the food chain for you. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Dennis, I've gone on record for a long time and said if I had to make a list of the top three people that I respect in the world of hockey the most, Mm -hmm. Mike Stuthers is on that list. So if you're telling me that uh, Jeff Solomon helped pluck one of those three guys into a key position in Anaheim, he, he's gonna go. Yeah, yeah. Sully. Sully just went up the uh, Mayor's Manor rankings <laughs> for sure. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely, it's uh, it's a great move. It's a great move for Anaheim, and you know what? It's a great yep. move for Dallas Eakins as well. Dallas has struggled there behind yep. the bench. Uh, we t- yeah. I mean, you and I weren't even sure if he'd make it through the season, let alone nope. into next season. Uh, Bob Murray's coming back. It's. I think it's a really wise move to bring him in. And you know what? 
you can't discount time away either, DB. The time that yeah, Stutz sat on the sidelines over the last year, yeah. it allows yep. him to reevaluate, to reprioritize, sure. and getting yep. down there to the U18s, getting his juices flowing again. Man, yep. I bet he was jonesing. I can tell you he yep. was because I've talked to him. Yep. I'm, I'm not going to hide it. But <laughs> of course. So, of course. I'm, look, I'm happy for the hey, man. Good for him. I, I'm Absolutely. over the moon. Absolutely. Exactly. Now he'd be going to a lot more Ducks games. Let's go. Uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with going to, you know, they have the best DJ in all of the NHL, DB. They, they do. I've said I know. that for a I long know. time, too. I love the music they play at the Ponda. So, uh, yeah, you never know. Too. You know, you get pretzels after the first <laughs> they, have, they, have, they have the pizza. <laughs> I still don't understand the uh, the RC Cola, though. I mean, I could get yeah, the I, RC I, Cola I, at the cool. Pond. That's great. I love it. It's fantastic. And, you know, exactly. DB, they're building out uh, that whole OC vibe thing going on down there. So Oh, they are? Oh, I, they have. Sure. It's, you know, I mean, I don't want to call it their version of LA Live because it really is is different it, it, it's it's more of an it's more it's it's like orange county themed in the sense that there's there yeah. parks and there's open space and it's it's not just restaurants and bars where is that john oh it takes over the uh, multi-city blocks so you have the parking lot that is right now to the west of the pond of honda center mm-hmm. uh it, it, it has that area and it goes uh, basically oh, the it's whole, right there the whole footprint and then yeah i mean it's massive okay. it's massive yeah it's okay. called oc vibe and i think mm-hmm. that it um I, th- I want to say 2024, which it sounds mm-hmm. so far away, DB, but we're talking three years from now. No, Jay, it's not. It's not. Um, awkward transition. Speaking of, it doesn't take very long and time flies quickly. You were recently in New York, and I thought yeah. that the Islanders had one more year, and you were like, no, this was it <laughs> yeah. for Nassau. Man, yeah. they put the new building up quick. So tell us about your trip to New York just uh, for a quick minute. Yeah, so we, we, you know, we have some friends that are connected to the team. So we, I didn't go as a media member. Uh, I sat and I wanted to get to Nassau, John, before they closed the building. What an amazing atmosphere. It's crazy as it sounds on TV. It's 10 times over with respect to that. So, and the weird thing about, not the weird thing, the, the unique thing about Nassau is um, it's a suburban arena with 6,000 parking spots. So on weekends, people tailgating. People got there for a 7.15 Friday night, Saturday night game at 1 p.m. So it was like a football game. You know, <laughs> I love my it. buddy, yeah, my my buddy Mike Carver from ILC Podcast. It was crazy. It was nuts. But John, without question, that arena has the longest bathroom lines in the world. <laughs> well, it may in the world, definitely in the NHL, <laughs> but in the world, it, it really stinked around half the arena in the bathroom. So, but we were, of course, we had our contacts. We went down to the lounge downstairs, but it was an amazing atmosphere. That old barn is going to be, you know, I mean, it, it's great to see games there. But it's time. And the, the building at Belmont is going to be... I went to Belmont. One of my horses ran at Belmont, actually, on my off day over there. And that building looks amazing. Um, and they'll have 5,500 parking spaces. So the belief is on weekends that they'll have tailgating. They'll be able to come in and, and tailgate in Queens, uh, maybe go over to the track or something like that. But uh, it was memorable. The fans are nuts there, John. Like, And I said this. We forgot. I mean, it was great to have fans back at Staples Center, the 2000 or whatever it was. But to walk into a building with 14,000 people screaming during Stanley Cup playoff hockey. John, the last time I was at a game like that, this is how long ago it was. Game 7, 2019, Blues and Bruins. That's how long it had been since I was in a playoff game building. And that's a long time. And you forget about it. And and that's what makes these playoffs so amazing. So it was a memorable trip. Um, but that building next year in Belmont's going to be really nice. We, you, know, we sh- you and I should make a trip out that way uh, when the Kings go visit the Islanders. 
Yeah, for sure. We'll have to do that. Uh, look, when I went to the Belmont, uh, the actual race in what 2012, there was a lot of tailgating going on. There was a lot of partying going on. Uh, uh, but my cab driver had to uh, quickly take the back roads to get to. Uh, we had yeah. a town car that was taking us from Belmont uh, okay. to the arena because the, yep. the game was starting. So we had to get oh, there. Yes. Oh, man, this guy was taking back roads in the town car. <laughs> I, uh, I thought the thing was on two wheels at one point. It was uh, <laughs> it was quite the story. It was yet a different adventure uh, because when I've told you the story before about when I went to the yeah. island, I think it was in 96 <laughs> to see the Islanders play the Kings and the taxi uh, driver, the taxi driver. Yes. So uh, good time. Hey, whenever you whenever you get to the island, it's a good time. So it and is. I'll never turn down an opportunity to go see the Kings play in Madison Square Garden. It, it is. Yeah, uh, for sure. It, it, it's a Mecca and it's, it's beautiful. So uh, DB, I want to get to speaking of the, what we were just talking about there and the Islanders. Um, I do want to talk about playoff predictions, but before we do, I want to circle back because I did leave a couple of Willie Mitchell notes on sure the thing. table there. We just talked so long with Willie Mitchell that, I mean, I probably had 30 more questions than I ever got to. Uh, he had a birthday recently, which was a really big deal. He has a boat named King size. And so that's uh, obviously uh, relevant. The whole Tesla story was amazing. Um, him talking about um, getting rid of the Prius to get the Tesla, man, we used to have so much fun back in the day covering the Kings DB yeah. the stories with some of these guys they were just they were great um, him living in Venice Beach it was amazing I loved hearing the Dean Lombardi story I, I could actually visualize Dean sitting across the table from him and talking to him and having that that emotional conversation and sure. really connecting with him that was great uh, he also mentioned Slava Voinov who was his partner for a long time and uh, you talk about 2012 I was laughing to myself when he brought up Voinov and, and just it reminded me of the time uh, during the 2012 playoffs, Voinov would pretend that he couldn't speak English. I mean, he didn't speak it very well, but he obviously spoke it because I had interviewed him many times. But he would pretend sure. that he couldn't speak English until uh, one time uh, Willie Mitchell interrupted and basically said he only knows the swear words because I taught them to him. Right, and, and, right, and, right. and Slava, who was trying to be, you know, very stoic, uh, had to crack up laughing because he thought that it was really funny. So there was a yeah. one of those cool moments that we shared together in uh, in a New Jersey locker room. Um, so those are just some some uh, some things to take away from the Willie Mitchell interview and. And uh, hopefully a lot of people will make the trek up to his his facility up there, his his resort. It sounds like a beautiful place the way he describes it. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time off air talking with him. And man, mm -hmm. I, I was I was getting he was motivating me to book a trip and get up there, DB. Exactly. I'll go there probably before I go to uh, the Ontario rain game, but we'll see. OK, really, DB? <laughs> so, well, look, you're going to have a great opportunity because the uh, you, you can't leave that stuff out there for me, DB. I'm going to grab it. The, uh, the the rain who have been playing a 68 game schedule, the AHL announced recently that they yes. the entire league, they're going to go to a uniform schedule, which is great. Big debate in the hockey world about yep. the multiple games being played by different conferences and divisions and whatnot. So this is, will be the final year of different number of games. And then next mm -hmm. season, uh, so not this coming season, but the season after, all AHL teams will play a 72-game schedule. That is the year that's expected to also include a 72-game season. That's the mm -hmm. year that uh, the Coachella that's Valley... 22-23. Yes, 22-23, okay. which will mm -hmm. also be the year that the Coachella Valley Firebirds, we believe they will be called, uh, whatever mm -hmm. they will be called, the Palm Springs affiliate of the Seattle Kraken. So that'll all take place in 22-23. But DB... Um, they're going. They're ready. They've already announced the Ontario Reign are going to welcome back a full building next year. Great. Uh, at awesome. the end of July, they've already reached out to their season ticket holders, and they are having select a seat. And so they're ready Fantastic. to go. Um, opening night for them has already been scheduled. Uh, and speaking of that, the Kings opening night, yeah. I, I reported this on Twitter today. You did. DB, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I was trying to hold on to it for the recording today, and I just couldn't help myself. Couldn't I, had do to let, it, I couldn't no, do it. I couldn't do it. I had to let it go. John. had to let it go on Twitter. But uh, the Kings are targeting... <laughs> 
October 13th. Nothing's been finalized yet, but, uh, you know, the league's opening up on October 12th. The Kings are trying to have opening night on October 13th at Staples Center. Uh, And they do have Frozen Fury planned for Salt Lake. So if if you're itching to make a road trip, DB, get out to Salt Lake. John, is that Frozen Fury in your mind? No. Okay. But I will say this. I will say it's not Frozen Fury in my mind only because I've never been to Frozen Fury in Salt Lake. I've only been to Frozen Fury Mm -hmm. in Las Vegas. Now, I will say I don't understand. I'm sure there's a good reason, and someday I'll find out what it is. I haven't asked anybody, but I don't know why they changed the name. Maybe there was a legal reason or a contractual reason or whatever, but Mm -hmm. Salt Lake Shootout was a certainly fine name to me. I don't, you know, I mean... I don't know. I mean, but, there's but no you, shootout. You get what the fans say about, oh, and it's only because when you go through the gauntlet at MGM Grand, that's Frozen Fury. I, I do agree with that sentiment because I'll tell you, the mm-hmm. final year of Frozen Fury, which was a two-game set at T-Mobile against the Rangers on Friday night and then against the Avalanche on Saturday, it didn't have the Frozen Fury feel sure. to it. Um, and first of all, it was just weird. We were in a new building. We had never been to that yeah. building before. Nobody had been there, right? So right. You, didn't, you didn't have any history. So it was just, it was, your, your brain is like soaking in everything, right? You're just, you're trying <laughs> right, to take right, it right. all in, and, and, and which is a different, <laughs> it's a different experience than going to Vegas. When you go to Frozen Fury, it's been in the same arena for 15 years, right? Yep. You go there sort of knowing your surroundings, so your brain's in a different place. But yeah, the gauntlet is what made Frozen Fury, but at the same time, right. It might sound cliche, but I'll buy into it. This is the next chapter of Frozen Fury. So I don't know. Okay. It's going to be a different Frozen Fury. I mean, it's like, right. you know, oh, Dennis, it's not the same thing. So don't, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't berate me for this. But I went to the Olympics in Salt Lake and I went to the Olympics in Vancouver. Right? Right. I mean, they were two different experiences. The experience right. in Salt Lake was amazing for its sure. own reasons. And the experience in Salt Lake was amazing for its own reasons. So I guess right. that's kind of the mindset that I'm trying to have is sure. that, yeah, I, I wish it was still called something different because I would have liked to have maintained the, you know, the honors and tradition of Frozen Fury being in Las Vegas and what it was. But right. eh, whatever, it is what it is. It's okay. a, create a new cool. tradition. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're going to have something even better. I, I have I I don't think yeah. they will. But open minded DB. Salt Lake City versus Vegas, John. Okay, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that. There's something that worries me a little bit, though, from an LA Kings perspective. That is an LA Kings home game, Dennis, and yeah. that building. I'm just assuming is going to be full of more Vegas fans than it is Kings fans. I'm assuming. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Salt Lake is like what four hours from three, four hours from Vegas. Yeah, yeah, no. but yeah, you know, if you're living in Vegas, you're not going to Salt Lake City, John. <laughs> Two Maybe different worlds. <laughs> well, it's true, it is. but I mean, but Dennis, Dennis, don't discount yeah, the yeah. Vegas Golden Knights fans. They, that is a no. rabid, rabid fan rabid. base, and they hate right. L.A. I they think do. if they were to travel to any preseason game, <laughs> DB, they're not traveling to Phoenix to take out the Coyotes. Okay, they're not traveling to Colorado even to take out the Avalanche. Great point, Jay. Great, great point. You tell the you tell the Vegas Golden yeah, Knights fans that they're going to play the Kings. It could be in the middle of an Idaho field, and I think they're going to turn up by the busload. John, when are we going to get a game at, at Allegiant or uh, SoFi? Well, we had talked about that before. You know, the plan yeah. was to do one game, uh, the Kings versus Vegas at the, the Raiders Stadium, Allegiant Stadium, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. there in Vegas. Yeah. And then the other game, and I don't know which game was going to come first. The other game was going to be at SoFi, uh, the Rams Stadium yeah. here in Los Angeles. And uh, I was a big 
proponent of the home and home. I mean, that's, that's great. Let's do it. Let's do it the same yeah. year, right? <laughs> yeah, like do right. It, I, You could do it back-to-back weekends, or maybe you want to do it a month apart, or maybe one early in the year and one later in the year. You I don't know. You want to drive hockey re- re- revenue, let's go. Hey, d- DB, do it. Whatever it takes, do it. But, and I, uh, was in, I was in SoFi last week. I did a tour. Yeah? Holy, holy cow. Oh, my God. Have you been to Dallas? I went to the old Cowboy Stadium. I haven't been okay, to the that's new. So you told me that, yeah, you know, this this stadium is off the chain. It would be an amazing venue for any Kings. I I, I got to think that pushing for at least one game there, it would be the fans would go would go bonkers. That 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 scoreboard is unbelievable. Every seat is has an amazing view of the field. They did. They should. I think it's no. It's not a no brainer, but I think it would be an amazing uh, uh, event for. For this city, yeah, I think that the league. This is just my my read on the situation. DB is that the league is yeah. a little hesitant coming into next season, just because yeah. although the world yeah. is opened up, everyone's still kind of like cautious. It's like the elephant in the room, right? Everyone's like, "Are we yeah. okay? Are we okay?" So I yeah, think yeah. once you get past next season or even the first half of next season, I think sure. we'll start to hear more about what they have planned for the for the out years. And and yeah, from Makes a hockey sense. revenue yeah. perspective. Uh, wouldn't surprise me to see that old stadium series <laughs> getting ramped up yeah. again, right? You're not going to just have one or two of those things, and let's do Hello, it, man. Although, Jay, Dodger Stadium was a, was a memory that was just incredible. It right? was. It was great. 56,000 kiss. I mean, it's just... Here's my question, Dennis, and we can explore okay. this on a different episode, but uh, sure. why haven't the Ducks had an outdoor game yet? Now, I know that... They played in one, right? Because uh, right. they were the visiting team when the Kings hosted yeah. the Dodger Stadium. But where's their outdoor game? They should play be playing at Petco Park, right? What, where's their all-star game, yeah, by the way, too? Because the Kings have already had two all-star games just in the time that they've been at Staples Center, which the Ducks have been in Anaheim longer than the Kings have been at Staples Center. Where's their all-star venue. game? Venue, it's, John. It's a great it's venue. A good, Let's go. Yeah, but it's too small. For what? too small. Why? Well, what's it got? 14, well, it's got what? So 17,000. 17, I don't know. Let's do it. I don't know. Let's get some more. I think you, you have to have ownership that pushes for it or well, management that pushes for it. All right. I'm going to send an email to the Sam Wellies. I think it's maybe just, maybe they're getting bad advice. Maybe nobody told them that they needed no, to host email it, so. Jeff Solomon. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> I'll email, I'll email Sully as if soon as If he can get g- Stutz over to Anaheim, he can get an all-star hey, game in Anaheim. he's getting Let's stuff go. done down there in Anaheim, so he maybe, he, maybe he can get the all-star game there, and move, then maybe Sean. he can get some uh, other league events going, <laughs> and, and there you go. Let's, let's see, let's see Anaheim uh, have an outdoor game. So wait, wait. And, you an think, outdoor game at Petco would be amazing, Dennis. Well, what about Angel Stadium? It's right right across the parking lot. Who? In the- <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Angels, no? Uh, Angels play no, in Los American. Angeles. Don't you pay attention? The Los oh, Angeles true. Angels, right? Come on. It's, it, it, you need to learn some geography, Dennis. Come on. DB, let's wrap You're up. You're killing me, John. Let's, let's wrap up today's show with talking about the playoff predictions because uh, sure. it is that time of the year. Um, I'm sure you probably did better than me in the last round. I don't remember. But uh, once again, you and I are on the same side of the sheet. Uh, we in are. The Montreal and the Vegas series. It says Dennis Bernstein took Vegas in six. It says John Hoven took Vegas in six. And Dennis, six. I don't know if you looked at this. You have Max Pacioretty as the series MVP. <laughs> so I. I have Max Pacioretty as the series MVP. We are morphing into an old married couple. We think too much alike. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's scary bad. What about the other series, John? Uh, in the 
Yeah, and the other series, the New York Islanders versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, it says here, Bernstein has the Lightning in six with Braden Point as the MVP. I think I had Braden Point as my MVP in the first or second round, so I yeah. had to pick a different player. Um, you went so off the board. Wow. Yeah, I, so I went with Blake Coleman. Um, nice. I mean, I don't know. Nice. Maybe, you know, yeah. uh, Blake Coleman. Why not? Because it's going to be a seven-game series is what I thought coming in. I thought this is going to be a long series. I thought it's going to be a long series, and because of that, I said it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be Stamkos. Sure. It's not going to be Hedman. Uh, it's, right. So yeah, Blake Coleman, game Beautiful. seven. I don't know. How do you think yeah. these series are shaping up? Tam- we'll start with Tampa uh, and the Islanders. Uh, I think it's. I, I said Tampa in six. I think it's going seven, John. There's not much to separate between these teams. If the Islanders can stay out of the penalty box, because I think Tampa's executing power play at 39, percent which is crazy. Um, I think it's a long series, and I think in the other series, look, Macho did a nice job. Vegas, you know, Vegas did the same thing that Colorado did after game one of their series, right? They, they took their foot off the gas, they relaxed, and Montreal wound up winning. I don't know, John, how the, Montreal can win four games. I'll give them another game because of Carey Price and Shea Weber's been great, but that would be a huge upset if, if Montreal wound up beating Vegas. I'm not sure. You're gonna, yeah. you, you might not like this or agree with this, but I'm not sure that this series has tilted as much towards Vegas as many people think. I think that series is a lot more even, not just because it's a 1-1, but... Montreal mm-hmm. has, has really looked much better than I expected them to look coming into the series. Mm-hmm. I don't know, DB. You win that. You win game two. You go home. Like I'm yeah. not saying they're gonna do it. I'm just asking the question. If Montreal finds a way to take both games at home, oh man, this is I, I, obviously right. I mean, it's Captain Obvious, but this is a totally yeah. different series. Vegas yeah. still has the weapons to come back and win, but this is a totally different series. I'll agree with you on one point, John. I think Mon- I think Vegas was minus five twenty five. Favorite to win the series? That's too much. You you would never make a bet like that. That's I've never seen a price on a series that high. And I got to give Vegas a puncher's chance here. And they did. They they played well. And carry look, carry Pies can match on Mark Andre Fleury. So there's no advantage for Vegas there. Do they have advantage on defense? Yeah, offense. I don't know. Chandler Stevenson. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, they they're missing their number one center. The guy had no goals and six assists when he went out, so I'll, I'll debate that. So I think it's a longer series than people. A lot of people thought it was going to be a sweep, John. I don't see it. I don't see Vegas, I don't see Montreal winning it either. But this is tougher than people think. This would be a nice prep for Vegas for the next round. Well, how about this? So also, DB, if if playoff series normally come down to the goaltenders, and that's what a lot of people tend to believe. You just yep. said it that it's a wash. Which basically means the series is a wash. A bad, yeah. a bad bounce, a bad, you know, a little fluky goal, a, you know, a greasy jam, something, anything. Yeah. I mean, this series can turn. I, if Montreal, if they're gonna, if they win Game Three, I think Vegas is in for it. I really do because yeah. I think then Montreal is up two one in the series. It, the series is mm-hmm. not over, but I just think the complexion of the series, the narrative yeah. of the series, and the sure. momentum. The momentum yeah. would be massive right. because I think that for Montreal to win the series, I think they need to sort of play from ahead. They can't. They can't yeah. be like no. Vegas, who was playing against Colorado from behind. Right. I think. I just think it's a different series if they win Game Three. Agreed. Yeah, it, it will be. It absolutely will be. Not. I'm interested to see. You know, going from seventeen five at T-Mobile to thirty five hundred people at Bella. Is there going to be? You mentioned momentum. Is there going to be enough juice in the building to have momentum off that game too? So we'll see. 
uh, you also have the factor of the players. Do they play? Do they play a little bit, uh, you know, tighter at home compared to how loose they sure. play on the road? Right. I mean, yep. that could be an advantage of only having thirty five hundred people in the building because could be the, the, the more fans, the more pressure. I don't know. It, it's trying to be a, more fancy for the home yeah, side. It, yeah, exactly. it, it's it, it's fascinating. Not trying really. to put on a show. Yep. We'll see, Dennis. We'll see, Dennis. Uh, great episode. Thanks to Willie Mitchell for coming on. Uh, DB, fun stuff, talking playoffs and uh, talking a couple of memories here. We'll have to get together. We oh, The countdown has begun, so we're going to have to finish this <laughs> thing off and have show 100. We'll have to map out when that is, DB, but uh, any parting thoughts Big today? celebration. No, Jay, it was great getting back with you with Kings of the Podcast. I can't wait for the next episode. All right, everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.